Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Paul said in Romans 1:16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. So if I begin to teach something else, if I consider the gospel to be old-fashioned, and I begin to teach something else, then I'm not teaching you the power of salvation. I might look hip. I might look like a, you know, really a progressive pastor that understands new things, but I will not be bringing you guys what you need. Today we are bringing you the opening teaching in an encore presentation on our series through the book of 1 Timothy, a letter written from the Apostle Paul to one of his closest companions, Timothy, a young leader in the church. It is our prayer that in realizing God has called all of us to be leaders in this world for the sake of delivering His gospel, that we would remember and stay true to the simplicity of that gospel. Jesus came to save all and freely offer eternal life. With our opening teaching in 1 Timothy, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we want to thank you. Again, we are blessed by your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us and be our teacher. We thank you that you have preserved the book of 1 Timothy, that you have laid it on Paul's heart to write it, and that the things that he wrote, that we can take time to look in and be encouraged about today. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us. We would leave this place today greatly encouraged in what you have given us. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The title of our message today is Mission Control. Mission Control is a center for aerospace flights that controls the beginning, the middle, and the end of a flight. And whenever Mission Control gives information to those astronauts that are out on an aerospace flight, they listen to Mission Control. There's a reason they listen to Mission Control, because they don't want to die frozen, floating in space forever. So when Mission Control tells them something, they pay attention. Well, the first part of the letter by Paul to Timothy is like Mission Control. He wants to center him. He wants to make sure that Timothy centers the church in Ephesus so that they don't get off track, so they don't start off track, so they don't end off track, they don't find themselves doing something that God never intended them to do. And I'm glad that we have this encouragement here because it helps us to understand what our center is. What is it that we are about? What is it as Christians that we are supposed to do? It would be easy for us if we didn't have that directed to us in Scripture to begin to think that the Christian life is about other things. It would be easy because there's always those that want to do that. There are always those that are teaching something other than the Bible. And they pride themselves in it. And it's funny because they mock us for staying true to the Bible, thinking that they're insulting us, but it's really not an insult. When people say things like this, well, that Calvary Chapel, you know, all they do is teach the Bible. I go, thank you. Yes. You noticed. Because I'm not interested in the fables of men. I'm not interested in the philosophies of men. Somebody told me one time when I told them, everything that you need is in the pages of the Bible. And we barely scratched the surface there. Why should we spend our times looking at the philosophies of men when what we have here, we haven't even got completely a hold of it yet? So the guy says to me, 
Well, it doesn't tell you in the Bible how to fix a broken arm. Well, I understand that not everything is in there. It doesn't tell me how to rebuild a 427 and put it back into a vet. I understand that, okay? There are a lot of things that, that we aren't told here in the Bible, but everything, this is in 1 Peter, everything that I need for life and godliness is here in the Word of God. And I don't even know how to rebuild a 427 or fix a broken arm for life and godliness, Everything that I need to know, 2 Timothy 3.16, it's become my life verse. It's become my favorite verse. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for direction, correction, doctrine, that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing. It tells me that the scriptures that I have been given give me everything I need, that I lack nothing when it comes to life and godliness if I keep myself in the center of the word of God. And it is almost always a temptation for people to come up with new stuff. It's a temptation for pastors to want you to come to church and hear me bring a message and that you would go, ooh, that was a good message. I never heard that before. That was really neat. It was new. Now, I like what Greg Laurie says. He says, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. And never should we be trying to reach out and find something new. If I can find something that we haven't been exposed to in the pages of Scripture, awesome. But we want to make sure it is in the confines of the Word of God. And so Paul writes to Timothy. We know who Paul is, right? He's an apostle chosen by God. He's responsible for the vast majority of the New Testament, 14 books here. He was an enemy of the gospel and he got saved and gave his life to the Lord and God began to use him, which tells us that God can save anybody. There's not a person out there who can't be saved. There's not a person out there who can't be used by God. He writes to Timothy. Timothy was a young man when Paul found him. He was interested in the gospel. Uh, he had the gift of teaching. He eventually became a pastor. Paul identified God's gifts in Timothy. He met him in an area called Lystra. Timothy's mother was a Jewess and his dad was Greek. Paul took him, had him circumcised so that he could minister to the Jews because his MO was to go first to the Jews, taking the message of Jesus as the Messiah to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. Timothy, of course, had an opening and an in with both of them, having a mother who was Jewish and a, a father who was Greek. And at this point that the letter opens up, Paul is marching on 60 years old. Jesus, of course, was born somewhere around zero, right? And I realize there's no zero, okay? So if you want to correct me, I realize that. But he was born somewhere around then. Paul was born in around 5 AD. Uh, this is around 62 or 63. So Paul is marching on 60 years old. He's only going to live another three, perhaps four years. He will be arrested after making a trip to Jerusalem. He'll then be taken to Rome. He'll be put in prison, released, rearrested, and beheaded. That's going to happen within the next two or three years for Paul. So Paul is older. Timothy is no longer the young Timothy that we think. When we read the letter of 1 Timothy, we think of him in his 20s, don't we? But he's in his 40s. So he's had some time of serving God and following the Lord. He has faithfully gone on mission trips and planted churches and God has used him. Maybe Timothy wanted to move on. Maybe he was restless. He was ministering at the church at Ephesus. And so Paul writes him to encourage him to stay. Okay. So now we pick it up in verse one of first Timothy. Paul, 
an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, there's a lot there, and we could spend a week talking about just the intro, just the first two verses. However, for Paul, that's a short introduction. Paul's got something burning on his heart and he wants to get right to it. So he does in verse three. He says, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Few things we learn from verse three. Number one, that he had urged him before to stay. He urged him before to stay in Ephesus and now he's writing him and he's urging him again to stay in Ephesus. Again, I think that Timothy wants to move on. He's a little bit restless. And Paul is telling him, you are not done yet. There's still something for you to do here. Number two, he says, when I urged you, when I left for Macedonia. Now, where's Macedonia? Macedonia is modern day Europe. It's the area around Greece. Whenever you read in the Bible about the area of Macedonia, Ephesus is in Turkey. Then you have the Adriatic Sea between Turkey and Europe, right? And then you have Greece and the area that is up above it, up some into Bulgaria, which is considered to be the area of Macedonia. Alexander the Great's father was named Philip of Macedonia, says two of you guys. So you are right. So he says, I urged you when I went into Europe, when I went into Macedonia, Remain in Ephesus that you may charge some, not all, some, that they teach no other doctrine. That's the mission. That's his assignment, is that he stays in Ephesus because there are people that are teaching other things and he wants them to teach them that they talk to them about teaching no other doctrine, to urge them to stay, remain, and to teach no other doctrine. Now, that needs to be stated today because there are many in the church that are teaching other doctrines the philosophies of men. There's an idea that the Bible's old fashioned, that the gospel is old. And by the way, today and people thinking that the Bible is old fashioned and the gospel is old is nothing new. You know what, what was the main criticism of D.L. Moody? That he preached the old fashioned gospel. This is back in the 1800s, the late 1800s. Now, when you think about the late 1800s, it seems old fashioned to us, right? You got guys with guns on, you got their hats, they're building railroads, it's the 1800s. But back then, it was a progressive time. We don't think of it that way, but it was. Because of the railroad, because of um, certain technologies that were brand new to them, especially in the mechanical age. They'd entered into the mechanical era and everything seemed to be new to them. And the main criticism for D.L. Moody as he preached his message, as thousands of people got saved, was... All he does is preach the gospel. He's just preaching that old-fashioned gospel. Well, so we do the same today. We have been called by God to preach the gospel. But here's the thing. Paul said in Romans 1:16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. So if I begin to teach something else, if I consider the gospel to be old-fashioned and I begin to teach something else, then I'm not teaching you the power of salvation. I might look hip. I might look like a, you know, really progressive pastor that understands new things, but I will not be bringing you guys what you need. The word of God, 
the gospel of Jesus Christ is like a filet mignon. And when somebody else brings something else, they say, I found something new. It's squirrel. You don't need that old filet mignon. You want that squirrel. Now, at the end of the last service, one of our, one of our security guards, one of our leaders of our security team, by the way, come up to me. For those of you who may know him, you can harass him. And he said, well, I'll tell you, I'd choose the squirrel, he told me. I said, that's because you're a hillbilly. <laughs> because I'll guarantee you this. The vast majority of us would not choose the squirrel. I realize that there are some of you that are going to be obnoxious. And when you were a kid, you hunted squirrel and it was delicious. My dad hunted squirrel as well. And I come from a hillbilly background as well. All right. I understand that. But there is a reason that there are no squirrel restaurants. <laughs> there are a lot of steak restaurants. A lot of places you can find filet mignon and very few places you can find squirrel. There's a reason for that, all right? So why would we turn from what is the best, what is proven, what is true to the philosophies of men, to other doctrines? Now he goes on to say here in verse two, as he continues on in his mission, he says, not giving heed to fables. That is that these people had begun to believe myths. They'd begun to believe fables. Sometimes people have a very poor handling of the word of God. They head off into directions that the Bible never meant for it to go. They come up with ideas that you wonder where in the world did they get that from? Let me tell you where they got it from. Their imaginations, that's where they got it from. And it becomes fables, it becomes myths or endless genealogies. There were a group of people in their day that thought that there was real power in where their ancestries came from. There are those today who do such things as well. And it goes on to say in verse four, which causes disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. These philosophies and these myths just end up causing disputes rather than godly edification. We want godly edification when we're together. You ever get together with a bunch of Christians? Maybe you go to Denny's after church or IHOP or Claim Jumpo, wherever you end up going. You start to talk and at first it seems really good. You start to talk about controversial things and it seems really good because at this point you can show how much of the Bible you know. You begin to quote certain things and talk about certain things, but then it turns into a fight. Somebody disagrees with you and you leave with a knot in your guts. You ever have that happen? None of you are shaking your head yes. It's, me only, it's only argumentative me that has that happen. Because when we get together, God wants us to edify one another, not, not to argue and, and fight. In fact, there's a passage later on in Timothy that says the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach those that are in opposition. And so then he says in verse five, now the purpose, this is the goal of the command, the command, the mission, stay in Ephesus and charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now the goal, the purpose. Now the purpose of the commandment is love. From a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. What is the reason that he wants us to remain true to the word of God? Because when we remain true to God's word, we love God. And when we love God, then we love each other. And love becomes the reason for the commandment. Jesus told his disciples, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. Now, the Old Testament is filled with 600 and something commandments. If you want to live by the law, 
you got a lot of commandments you have to keep. I love when people pick and choose one of the commandments. This is the commandment that you, if you keep this commandment, then you're going to go to heaven. And they ignore the rest of the 600 and something. Listen, you want to live by the law, then more power to you, but you got to take them all. You can't pick and choose. You can't say, I like that one, but I don't like that one. I'm going to keep this one, but I'm not going to keep that one. So Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Now, later on in Romans and in Galatians, it tells us that all of the law is summed up in this, that you love your neighbor as yourself. It's all summed up in that. That if you love one another, then you're keeping the law. I don't need to know all 600 of those commands because if I walk in love, then I'm not going to break those commands towards you. In other words, the Bible says, thou shalt not murder. If I love you, I'm not going to murder you. So on and so forth, right? I fulfill the law by love. Now, Jesus also said this. They will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Some of you guys have come to the church for the first time today. You're listening closely to what I say because you come out of a Christian background. Maybe you come out of a Christian church. Maybe you lived in another city where you went to church. You want to know if we're authentic. You want to know, is Calvary Chapel of Tucson an authentic Christian church? So you're listening for certain things. You want to know whether or not we believe in the virgin birth, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the crucifixion of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. When you hear those things, you go, yes, 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 good. That's authentic. However, what if there's people here and there's more and more people like this that don't know what Christianity is about? There's many Christians in our community who wouldn't even be able to tell us what a real authentic Christian is about. So when they come into this place and maybe you're here today, maybe you've been invited to church and you're sitting here and going, you know, I didn't really think about it. This could be a cult. Maybe I'm sitting in a cult right now. How are you going to know whether or not we are authentic? This is what Jesus told us. They will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. So what makes our evangelism powerful is not necessarily our doctrine. I'm not saying our doctrine isn't important because it is. It's ultimately important. But I'm saying that what's going to cause us to be good in our evangelism is the love that we have for one another. Now here's the problem. Whenever you choose to love someone, there's a risk. Because people whom you love can hurt you. Maybe you've come out of a church where you've been hurt. Maybe you're just not willing. Maybe you've been hurt in this church. Maybe there's someone who's hurt you here and you're just not willing to redevelop those relationships again because you can get hurt. Some of us are just busy. Some of us like being by ourselves. We're like the Lone Ranger. We put on our mask, we come to church. <laughs> now, we might not have a literal mask on, but we come in and we sit down and we leave. And because there's five services, nobody knows you. Nobody knows who you are. You don't even have a Tonto. At least Lone Ranger had Tonto. You don't even have a Tonto. You just come to church and you go. Well, you can learn about the Bible that way. You can learn about God that way. But you can never really experience what God wanted for us as Christians without the body of Christ. We must interact with each other. We must love one another. And along with that is going to come some pain. It always happens. We are because we enter into relationships. We have pain that comes from that. And well, we're going to offend one another. You're going to say something eventually that's going to offend me. I will never say anything that offends you. I've never offended anyone. 27 years of ministry. All right, so I only do it weekly. I do it several times every week. There are going to be things that are said. My wife generally has a list for me of things that I can't say anymore. She'll go to Saturday night and she'll go, you can't say that, you can't say that, you can't say that. She's much more in tune with what is going to be offensive than what I am. 
I, and I tell her, I'm just having fun. She goes, I know. <laughs> I know, but you can't say that. We're going to say things that offend. And so the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Maybe it's not someone here at the church that you need to get to know. Maybe you work with a Christian from another church. Even though they go to another church, they're part of the family of God. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe those are the people that God wants you to develop a relationship with and get to know. Maybe you need to get more involved in a small group somewhere to be able to do that. But the purpose of this is love from a pure heart. That is that your sins are forgiven and things are right with God from a good conscience. Tell you what, our conscience can get up and sting us. Walking with God in purity is a good thing for a lot of reasons. Giving purity to Christ is a good thing. One of them is that your conscience doesn't condemn you. From a good conscience, and I love this one, from a sincere faith. We're to walk in love from a sincere faith. And I'll ask you this question. Are you sincere in your faith? Are you really serving God honestly? Do you pretend? See, the opposite of sincerity would be pretense. The opposite of sincerity would be hypocrisy. So the Bible tells us that we are to serve God without hypocrisy and with all sincerity. You're really serving God or are you pretending? Hey, there's some people that come to church, some people that come to Calvary. While you're here, you're like, praise God, brother, amen, all of the Lord. And then you go hang out with a group of friends and you're like, <laughs> beep, 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 dirty joke, dirty joke. And people in the world go, I thought you were a Christian. Well, you're not really serving God with all sincerity. I think that's why Jesus said, I wish you were either hot or cold, but since you are neither, I'll spew you out. He will not let you remain there. He will shake up your life in such a way that you have to make a decision. Are, are you sincere? Just really sincerely want to follow him. Are you saying, Lord, I really do want to follow you. I want to live for you. Out of a pure heart and a good conscience and out of a sincere faith. He goes on to say in verse six, from which some have strayed, having turned aside to idle talk. There are those that have strayed from a sincere faith and a good conscience. There are those of it that strayed from love, from godly edification, because they're involved in idle talk. They just want to talk about things that don't really matter. Desiring to be teachers of the law, verse 7 says, understanding neither what they say nor the things that they affirm. Now, Paul specifically says there are these legalists that are running around. They want to be teachers of the law. If you want to be a teacher, you desire a good thing. The Bible says if you want to be a deacon, you want to be a, an elder, you desire a good thing. It's a good thing to be a pastor. It's a good thing to be a teacher. But the Bible also says, let not many of you desire to be teachers because you incur a stricter judgment. That doesn't mean you've got to live better than everybody else. It means you've got to live the things you say. It means that we all have to live those standards. And as a Christian, as a pastor, as a teacher, you better really get to that point. But here these guys were, they didn't understand what they were talking about. So they're just running around telling people what they couldn't do. They're running around as teachers, telling people all about the law. You don't do this, you don't do that, and you bunch of sinners this. And you know what? Those are the easiest messages. If you've ever spent any time teaching or, or preaching, then you know that messages that condemn are the easiest ones to give because they pack a punch. You've gotten fleeced. You've gotten beaten by those who, who say these kind of things. The person that needed to hear it, the, the Christian that's involved in fornication or other things, they don't hear it at all. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.